0: This is an e-learning course brought to you by Contemplative Light. We are a community of spiritual teachers and writers, graciously offering our insight, experience, and most importantly, our love. We hope you enjoy your course. So now we come to the 12th century mystic, Hildegard of Bingen, and Whereas Dionysius was much more of a unitive mystic in his writing, Hildegard, the first major German mystic, it was far more of a visionary. Hildegard was an artist, very much a Renaissance woman, even before the Renaissance. In a sense, her writing was like a precursor to the morality play. And the medieval morality play would have figures like Virtue and Vice or personified on the stage by these different characters. She had a a kind of early version of that, but uh, it was often set to music. So there was this sort of dramatized fight between good and evil. And she was also a visual artist. She wrote theology. And and we'll get into, into that in some depth in a bit but first something about her life she she was signed over by her parents as tithe to a monastery at the age of seven so from the age of seven on she's completely immersed in this monastic life and is the the, the process of the offices and prayer and the iconography and the theology of 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 the monastery is is all around her from such an early age she's just sort of saturated with it and given her natural gifts she processes processes that in a unique artistic way and then concentrates and reproduces some of the sort of high uh, 12th century art that that we have she was highly energetic and uh, co- compared with visionaries like, like, like Dante, or she, in fact, can be seen as a kind of uh, early influence on, on, on Dante. But she was also a theologian. She was a preacher. She was a historian, very much a visionary. In, in, in the literal sense that we, we use that term today to kind of mean forward thinking and galvanizing a, a group and, and kind of leading them in a, in a certain direction and having a vision for an organization. But the visionaries we talk about in, in this context as mystics, like Blake, like a Dante, like a Hildegard of Bingen, it literally means you have some sort of transcendent vision that the mystic themselves feels is this divine revelation. That they are to record and then pass on to others as as a means of ministry, of encouragement, of revealing something of the divine reality through this vision that they've been granted. She was also kind of an early scientist in in the sense that she wrote about medicine, uh, pharmacology, and she was an artist, uh, a writer, a painter, a, a musician. So very unique in the sense that here is a woman, and in this day and age, there was a a, a clearly dominant male hierarchy, a a patriarchy that she is existing under, but she is extremely learned, uh, highly intelligent, and prolific in her output in so many of these different fields, very much a polymath. Now, she at some point, became a Benedictine Abbess at this monastery and became very much an outspoken critic. That's another unique quality that she had was she's not just kind of regurgitating the Benedictine theology and towing the line of the t- and, and kind of getting heard by being a conformist. And I think part of why Hildegard resonates so much with kind of contemporary artistic uh is she does have something of that of that iconoclast in her but she is still very much in and of the the benedictine movement of the time she's by no means sort of excluded but instead achieves a kind of institutional authority and yet there is this desire for a kind of moral purity in and she becomes this outspoken critic of some of the violations, some of the corruption, some of the laxity she sees going on in the, in the church and monasteries of her, her era and very much interfered with some of the corruption in the church in her day. So the mystical visions that she had, she had mystical visions from a young age which she described as, as the shade of the living light. The first of which came at age three she she recounts a vision that she had as early as as age three and these visions including the one from age three she kept to herself for for a great many years there was a a a hesitancy an anxiety that if she shared that she would be excluded or shunned or thought to be maybe a crazy or hallucinating so this was uh, very much something she kept to herself but she has this description that is part of a pattern of mystics down through today. And really, the, the, the mystic from today I hear echoing her words is uh, actually the Sufi mystic Llewellyn Von Lee. And she describes, and you could, you could put this in the sort of Neoplatonic category too, but the, the vividness of her description is that all things perceivable by the senses somehow exist in the light of God. And this, this is a thread that runs through mystical awakening experiences, that somehow there is this quality, this substance inherent at, at the beginning, from the very beginning of creation, that is somehow more foundational than even, say, an atomic level, that somehow all perceivable things, all forms arise out of this light this love that is somehow the the very foundational block building block of of the existence uh, of, of form and and she kind of introduces that that thrust in her writing as well patterns and terms that that she uses some of the images is is that of light of rapture she uh kind of has has these this prophetic gift. It speaks in prophecies and very much a a kind of desire for God. There's a certain sort of brilliant kind of color to her work, whether written or, or, or visual, but there's also echoing Dionysius again, this kind of apophatic negation in her language that Is another of these connecting threads that interweave the different mystics. Is this there is a beauty on the one hand that she portrays in her work, but at the same time a sense that this isn't sufficient to communicate the the grandeur, the 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 awesomeness of God. That really there is something that transcends that, and that only apophatic and and, uh, theology and negation can really sort of get at. Early on, she sought advice from from another of of the mystics that we'll be talking about and that is Bernard of Clairvaux. Connected with him for support because in order to spread her writings without being sort of condemned or maybe even called out for heresy was approbation. she needed a stamp of approval from from the papacy and S- uh, bernard was someone who stepped in on her behalf and helped sort of legitimize her project her writings her artwork her her music so that that could be sort of adopted and disseminated coming back on her that she is somehow violating official church doctrine. So, an early ally of hers was, was Bernard of Clairvaux to really get her recognized officially by the Pope as this female prophet that spoke with some degree of divine authority. Again, very much a, a kind of strong female figure and very unique in that regard. So, Hildegard held that wisdom was part of the ongoing work of creation this somehow interconnection between the process of creation creativity and as closely interwoven with virtue and wisdom what was kind of central to her understanding she had this sort of cosmic vision and when it comes to sort of the visionary mystics that kind of anticipate the the it, the divine comedy, because Dante in his work refers back to so many and synthesizes so much of sort of the medieval theological but also worldview, but also the work of different medieval mystics. And we can see very much that sort of encyclopedic cosmic scope of Hildegard of Bingen's vision sort of anticipate Dante's encyclopedic vision. So she has this sort of cosmic scope that she's operating on, and we can can see that in some of this artwork, that it has a kind of mandala-like quality. Mandala, the mandala artwork, of course, from, from Eastern traditions, is intended somehow to be a, a symbol of, a map of, an emblem of uh, the cosmos as a whole, and to reflect something of the order and beauty Within it, uh, in the East, of course, they, the the Buddhist practice of creating the mandala, and then after it's meticulously made over the course of a of a, of a couple of days, this beautiful piece of art is then sort of wiped away to then also reinforce this this idea of transience of the created order. I think the emphasis with Hildegard is a little more, not so much the transience, but the sublime nature. Of uh, and the beauty inherent within the order of creation. She was very much uh, sort of interested in the relationship between that macro-level cosmos and the micro-level psyche and, and, and th- that interconnection. And, and because of that, she's interested in justice. She's interested in compassion as a hallmark of wisdom. She connects the idea of wisdom... experience specifically through the the sense of taste in Latin she kind of has that play on the etymological connection between those two words of sapere and sapientia that are that is wisdom and also tasting so this Uh, verse sort of come taste and see that the lord is good uh is for her the the sort of way of wisdom is that direct experience again direct experience of the divine being such a central component of of the, the mystical theology as a whole she is very sensual And that's why we think of her in this visionary vein through her visual art, through the sort of sensual texture of her uh, language and writing. She emphasizes this art of sort of savoring experience, tasting life, the joy of living, a real kind of exuberance about her work. She also has this search to break free of traditional patterns and constraints, finding this kind of universal, inclusive vision for humanity. And I think uh, there she's very much in line with the kind of artistic tradition. If you know anything about the history of different artistic movements and, and art history over time, there is this rejection of the forms that have gone before in an embrace of something new is sort of a pattern over and over and and Hildegard of Bingen very much falls into that uh, pattern of looking for new forms looking for new ways of expression new modes of expression in and, and, and one that can can communicate precisely that that inclusive compassionate, all-loving nature of the divine. Whereas so much of medieval theology and leading up to medieval theology, certainly in the church, is very much about responding to the threat of heresy and therefore sort of defining, categorizing, differentiating, rejecting, speaking out against certain sort of false teachings her project is much grander in scale and reflects a certain uh, universality of the divine love versus that sort of uh, dogmatic project. She's interested in communicating the sort of sacred nature of everyday life and I think we get a sense of that in her writings. So two streams of light according to tradition formed a cross over her room at, at the time of death in 1179, uh, people that were there sort of subsequently wrote about that, that there was sort of two streams of light on the horizon forming across over the room that she was in and that she entered that eternal light. X marks the spot in death and, and in so doing had, had this vision of sort of openness uh, to all. Uh, Hildegard's major work, Scivias, or Know the Ways, In Latin, Scivias, her her the title of her work was To Know the Ways. She had vision from God or an experience or some divine revelation that she heard the voice of God telling her to write what you see and hear. And this kind of magnum opus of hers had consisted of sort of three distinct parts. Again, this sort of triads that we find so much of in the the writings of the mystics especially in the medieval period it it consisted of 26 visions and for her visions come in the form of yes the visual but the auditory and some sort of sense impression of the divine is sort of self-revelate. The next section is, consists of 36 miniatures, these, these kind of kind of vignettes that she writes, and then the third section is theological interpretations of her visions. She not only kind of gives the 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 high level or visual of of what she experienced in a descriptive fashion, but then goes into a kind of her own theological interpretation of each. In the first Vision that she, that she unpacks in her, her writing is the order of God's creation, beginning with the creation of Adam and Eve, and then moving to the structure of the universe as a whole, the relationship of body and soul, the relationship of God to his people in the synagogue, the, the choirs of angels in, in kind of panoramic description of, of the order of creation. And then part two of this this work, Scivias, by Hildegard, is the order of redemption, of Christ as Redeemer, of the Trinity, of the Church as the Bride of Christ, of the Mother of the Faithful. So we're very much getting this kind of Catholic flavor of it. She touches on baptism on confirmation orders of the church uh, christ sacrificed on the cross giving very kind of vivid sensual description of that the eucharist and 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 the fight against the devil that next section she's concerned with the history of salvation which she she has this allegory of a building adorned with with these allegorical figures and virtues that are meant to sort of guide and facilitate the soul on its journey to god and then she describes the sort of sacred symphony of heaven she uses to sort of precede her musical com- composition it ends in a sense in a in direct experience even for for us as people still experience her music today and we'll include some links here to some of her compositions to get kind of another flavor as well, along with some of the the visual art you're seeing in this uh, lecture. Another of her writings was Liber Vitae Meritorium about freedom that comes through the practice and life through through merit and, and virtue and, and which we she kind of describes the the virtue and vice present those kind of two poles that we oscillate between. She has descriptions of, of punishment and purgatory. That are have some vivid physical grotesque quality to them, sort of anticipate Dante's descriptions in the Inferno and Purgatorio. So they very much throughout the writing of Hildegard of Bingen in, in her work is certainly a tributary that then flows into into Dante's Divine Comedy and uh, lays some groundwork for some of the work that he's up to in his not just the grandiosity of his cosmic scope but in the vividness of his descriptions of sort of the souls in torment so again that kind of medieval imagination at work and and here's a germ of that later flowering and uh, her next work the liber divinorum operum is about the the work of the divine and this is uh, a little more in line specifically with the the mystical aspect of her writing about the ecstatic loss of consciousness, and ecstasis, or, or the word ecstasy from the Greek ecstasis, meaning out of the body, and that she has this mystical vision she describes in this work. In it, she sort of focuses on the word as the key to the work of God, as this pinnacle of which uh, the the pinnacle of, of which is humanity itself she expounds on john's gospel at length in this work and this this calls to mind this thread that weaves through the mystics of the logos or divine pattern divine maybe even unmanifest energy this this the divine word that is embedded within creation that gives rise to the human, and that that is somehow a, a link between us and God. It, it imbues us with divine capacities. <clears throat> in this work, too, there's this cosmic allegory of divine love personified as caritas and wisdom or sapientia are these two figures that are, uh, are treated in this uh, work, and they a characteristic of the work itself is this sort of swirling poetry that demonstrates a dynamic activity of God in in this historical salvational work. So that somehow wisdom and, and divine love are kind of handmaidens of of God and in, in going about his work of, of transformation and salvation in the world. And then another aspect of it is this image of universal man, a depiction of the human body itself as... A microcosm of the macrocosm of of the universe itself. In Hildegard of Bingen's work she she sort of situates the body within a theological context, stretches all the way back from this this cosmic vision of, of New Testament salvation back to Genesis and the six days of creation and kind of how that was imbued and formed from the beginning. That capacity or, or connection, rather, between the, the body on the microcosm and creation, the cosmos on, on the macrocosm. And so, a quote from Hildegard of Bingen, in which we really get a sense of her tone, her voice, is from Scivios, I, the fiery life of divine essence, am a flame beyond the beauty of the meadows. I gleam in the waters. I burn in the sun, moon, and stars. With every breeze, as with invisible life that contains everything, I awaken everything to life. I am the breeze that nurtures all things green. I encourage blossoms to flourish with ripening fruits. I am the rain coming from the dew that causes the grasses to laugh with the joy of life. And here another quote by Hildegard of Bingen, we cannot live in a world that is interpreted for us by others. An interpreted world is not a hope. Part of the terror is to take back our own listening, to use our own voice, to see our own light. And then also, in her writing on on the centrality of the word, The word is living, being, spirit, all verdant greening, all creativity. This word manifests itself in every creature. And then, like billowing clouds, like the incessant gurgle of the brook, the longing of the spirit can never be stilled. And there you really get that uh, poetic quality um, of this remarkable uh, mystic, uh, woman, artist, visionary, Hildegard of Bingen. And some key takeaways from Hildegard and her life. One was this universal, inclusive message of love for all creation and all humanity another is her contention that music is the voice of god and there's something of the divine communicated uniquely through music and that what we perceive all of it exists within the light of god and that life itself is fundamentally sacred she taught that god is radically inclusive and that that encompasses the virtue, the wisdom, and the beauty reflected in creation, that we see something of those qualities in creation are like reflections of God back to us, that we can uh, perceive something of Him like a mirror of God. This concludes our course. To learn more, please visit our website at www.contemplativelight. We look forward to seeing you again soon.